I'm Jake Hyde, and this is Dragonheart. Well, welcome to Dragonheart. Unfortunately, we don't have Che with us today, so you're left with my newbie uh, hosting skills. I am Bill Long, and today I'm joined by Mark Griffiths. Uh, how are you feeling after the, the long weekend, Mark? Um, I, I feel awful saying this, but for the first time in quite a few weeks... I'm not sure we're going to win the league, you know. So that, I think that probably sums it up. That's a shocker, isn't it? Yeah, well, it was a it was a difficult sort of patch of results for us in a lot of ways. Uh, we're going to talk about um, the South End result, which went our way. Then we're going to talk about the Boreham Wood result, which didn't quite go our way. Uh, that'll lead us to a look at the Stockport County game on Sunday, which kind of takes a bit of a different tone to what we've talked about previously. And finally, for better or worse, we're going to be talking about um, Phil Parkinson. Uh, so after this, uh, we'll get started. This is Sean Brisley. This is Dragon Heart. Well, Southend United, Mark, they gave us a, a, a good run out, really, didn't they? And it was a, it was a tough game for us, but we, we saw the game out uh, after a dogged performance by them, I'd say. Yeah, it was quite an interesting experience in a way. Uh, commentating with Neil Williams. And when their keeper went up at the end for the corner, he got really annoyed, you know, like, why are they doing this to us? They've got nothing to play for. But, I mean, that, <laughs> you know, that comment sort of summed it up for me that, yeah, they had nothing to play for. Um, but they played. You know, the idea that a team has nothing to play for won't show any spirits, well, they... They gave the lies of that. I was really impressed with them. I thought they were organised. Mm. They played well. They probably kept the ball better than any other team has done at the race course, apart from Chesterfield and well, Stockport, I mean, as I guess, as well. But they, they really did look to, to control the game, take it to us. And, I mean, I'd be very optimistic. If that's not a flash in the pan, and as they'd won three in a row, I guess it isn't, I'd be optimistic as a South End fan because they... There are quite a few young lads in their team, and I thought they they clearly showed they got something to build from for next season now if they can you know have a good summer transfer window. Yeah, that's exactly what I've written in my notes, actually. You know, that they've uh uh say so I did mention off camera that I've written notes this time seeing as I'm hosting. Go off. Uh <laughs> um, you know, they 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 could even challenge with a little bit of investment next year, couldn't they? And I don't think that I don't know that they I know they've had problems when they came down. I don't know whether that's been sorted out. I don't really know enough about uh South End, unfortunately. I know Stan Collymore's involved, isn't he, in some in some degree, but um, you know, fair dues to him. They came and gave the kind of performance that actually I would like Wrexham to give if we had nothing to play for, but I'd gone to an away match because it just happened to be convenient or the last Saturday or whatever. Uh you know, people are very quick to say that they've got nothing to play for, but they've at this level, you've got two, three hundred. Uh, it was about it was about five hundred South End fans, wasn't it? It was, it was yeah, a lot, yeah. a lot, and, and fair play to them. You know, they made the right racket as well. I think, but they've got, they have got something to play for because they've got those fans that have that have travelled all that distance yeah. to play for, and they've got contracts for the end of the year, or they've got potentially being seen by Hollywood owners when it comes to us, or just anybody who happens to be scouting some Wrexham players, they're going to have an ch- opportunity to see South End play, aren't they? So they've got a lot to play for, really. I, don't, I think it's a bit of a myth, isn't it, Mark? It's true, but then you do see teams roll over a little bit sometimes when a game <laughs> yeah, true, away yeah. as well. I mean, Altrincham, for example. Um, I was say they didn't play badly, but yeah, they, they, we, we broke their spirits, I think, didn't we? Um, mm. I, I think that 
one thing that played in their favour is that their natural shape, the way they usually play, is pretty much the same as us. And I think that was a big factor in the opening half because they they meant they basically matched us up. And by doing that, there was a lack of space for us to exploit. You know, we we try and drag teams around, pass it about and pull people out of position and then, you know, strike when there's a bit of space to work in or, or create overloads. But that wasn't naturally going to happen because they had players essentially... I know I'm, I'm, I'm reducing this to very simplistic terms, but covering each of our players. They had three lads in midfield mm. who could pick up our three lads. They had wing back against wing back on the flanks. Um, our spare man would be a centre back, which we do well releasing, but you know, the, you, you had to be careful because you didn't want to leave it two and two at the back. So, yeah, by having the same shape as it was a classic example of a team, two teams cancelling each other out a little bit, it didn't do us any favours. And I think it gave them a chance to have that foothold. And the fact that they wanted to move the ball around to feet meant that they had really good spells of possession. And, and yeah, I was I was impressed with them and I was worried for us because although we were making some chances, we, we weren't really working their keeper enough, perhaps. And, I, I, yeah, I did get a little bit concerned at half-time. You know, we, we needed to maybe do something different. So they, they did well. There was almost an element of... of uh that there was a surprise on the cards, wasn't there, in that first half? It was difficult to sort of see a way in for us, really, which has just been, it's not not been like that. You know, even times when we've lost or where we've drawn this year, there still always looks like we might have given it a, a, a go. But like you say, it was just a, just a stalemate, wasn't it? And mm. it, it had all the, the makings of a, a difficult afternoon for us. But then second half starts and, and we go and get that goal. It was... Uh, Bit of a relief, really, wasn't it, Mark? Oh, God, yeah. I mean, we nearly scored in the first. I mean, I was saying we didn't work that keeper enough in the first half, but he did make a couple of good saves, including that yeah. phenomenal one from Tyler French. You know, when French comes... I mean, I found it really interesting to try and describe in the commentary. It was just He just came piling in at the far post and, like, flew at it. <laughs> so it's quite hard to describe. He sort of just hurled himself yeah. bodily at it at the far post. Might have been getting fouled. Uh, might have been fouling his man. I don't know. They just both <laughs> collided at the far post. He was yeah. flying almost horizontal. Um, but despite that, he managed to make perfect contact on the volley uh, six yards out. And, well, I mean, when you make perfect contact on the volley and the ball flies like that, the keeper just shouldn't see it. And yet, well, how the heck he managed to fling his arm up and, and sort of punch it away. It was an outrageously good save. And that was, you know, at that point, you think, oh, please, it's not going to be one of those days when nothing will go in. Um, yeah, and it, it that that happens that happens to us quite a bit, doesn't it? Historically, it maybe hasn't this season, but we've had plenty of games at the race course in the past where you you see that kind of save and you think we're not going to get anything from the game. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I know when he first came, he said in an interview about how he, he played his youth football as a striker, and, and some people have picked up on that. And I'm not sure that's. So relevant. It's not unusual, I think, for your best players to be playing where you can hurt the other side. And probably an awful lot of defenders started their youth, you know, in youth football were playing up mm-hmm. front because they were so much better than everyone else. Um, but Colin Henry's from the club was saying that, you know, when you're lucky enough to look at the training day in, day out, he, he's he got a hell of a shot on him. He was saying he's one of the best finishers, he feels. And All right, okay. Was, oh, I mean, what a strike that was. The poor bloke still, he just couldn't get a break. How would the keeper save that? But like you say, yeah, start the second half. 
we we just it, it was a little bit like the Weymouth game in that we just seemed to come out. We we're essentially doing the same things, but we we're doing them quicker, more aggressively, and and as well like the Weymouth game. Jordan Davis really sort of got a bit between his teeth as well. I thought in the opening five minutes of that half, Jordan Davis was absolutely everywhere, and yeah, we got got the breakthroughs. There's a nicely worked goal as well, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Do you know what? I I have seen it back, but I've got to admit the uh, I've gotten nervous about the Rex rent cues and decided to go right at the start of the second half to go to the toilet rather than during the <laughs> during the bloody half-time break. I just got chatting, just completely half-time had gone by the time I realised, come up the stairs and the ball's in the back of the net, so I didn't really see it properly live. So I have not, I've not missed many goals this season, but that was that was just one of them. It's a bit unfortunate, but yeah, like you say, seeing the footage back, it was a really nicely worked goal. And that's that's why you spend the the big bucks on some of these players, isn't it? Because it's just got that level of quality that uh, we can sort of pull things out of nowhere. And then it was a bit of a bit of a bit of a much of a muchness for the rest of the game, really, wasn't it? We had a couple of chances, but I think they were starting to look a bit laggy, weren't they, towards the end of the game, Mark? Would you do you agree? Us. Uh, yeah, yeah, us. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, the the sorry. When I say they, I mean the team starts to look a bit laggy. Yeah. Yeah, we had to work for it, didn't we? They, you know, they, yeah. they were pressuring us. I mean, you know, with hindsight, the double have a lot to do. Maybe not, but no, but no. they moved the ball around well in our half, and we had to dig in. I said in the commentary actually, after with about seven minutes left, if we keep a clean sheets, I'm going to say we did. We defended really well, <laughs> but let's <laughs> wait and see. Um, but yeah. we did. We did. Um, you know, we held them at arm's length. We defended the box well. They again, you know, they had quite a lot of the ball in our half, but we looked pretty much in control against that. And we also did that again, that whole kill the game thing beautifully. It was, well, I'm not going to say it was quite as exaggerated as Real Madrid against Man City, but from about the 85th minute, nothing really happened because we just kept breaking up play, you know, making substitutions putting it up the pitch, holding it up by the corner flag, taking our time over restarts, conceding fouls, putting the ball out. And and the game just didn't get going for them either. Mm. It was beautifully, beautifully done. Oh, by, by the way, changing the subject ever so slightly, I don't know if you saw the Real Madrid-Man City game, which was a magnificent spectacle until that Real Madrid went ahead. The time-wasting at that point, though, I mean, was terrifying. And you know I always say... That's the ref's fault, not the players. I agree. I, you know, I agree with myself. There's a shock. <laughs> oh, hiccups! I was so shocked at how stupid that statement was. I got hiccups now. My body's rebelling against me. Um, but I, I was so astounded by how little action the ref took when Real Madrid were breaking her up that I just the, the pedant in me couldn't resist winding back and fast forwarding through the second half of extra time to see how long the ball was actually in play. And um, go on, have a guess. How long was that ball in play uh, when in the second half, the last 15 minutes? Have a stab. Um, well, I didn't I didn't see the game, I must right. admit. Uh, Imagine a game uh, where sorry. they're allowed to time waste as much as they can. Okay. Ball in play for let's say 15 minutes. Well, that'll be out of 15. There's extra time. Sorry, Matt. 
any extra sorry mark to be fair you did cut off for a bit so i thought you meant the second half like i you know with you with your uh, internet connection um out 15 um ball in play for about four minutes oh okay fair enough then five minutes 21 in in fairness if you hadn't have like set it up so nicely i might have thought it was it was a a lot more than that because four minutes is nothing is it i mean there's there's a you know going on a slightly different tangent which we're we're always dangerous of doing mark when Che's not here uh there's a there's a a good call at the moment that I is slightly controversial. I would like to know your opinion on it, where they're considering reducing the amount of time that football is played for in 60 minutes instead of 90 minutes, but the, the clock stopped whenever the ball goes out. Is that something that you think is, is a, you know, 30 minute halves, but you don't have any extra time. It's just stop the clock when the ball goes out of play. Is that something you'd be open to? No, I, I hate that idea. I think it's awful. <laughs> um, to be honest. Um, I, I feel that, um, there's, there's, a, there's an established rhythm to the game, and I, I don't understand why we'd want to alter it like that. Uh, you know, when you get a really fluent game with two teams that are passing the ball around and the ball isn't going dead much, then uh, we'd actually be robbing ourselves by restricting it to 30 minutes like that. Um, yeah, definitely. And also the problem is not just the loss of time, although it is, and I was going to follow up by saying five minutes, 21 in the 15 minutes of extra time. And then he, the ref added three minutes on hilariously. And the, the ball was only in play for one minute, 38 seconds of that. And he blew up early. He blew up after 2.58. Um, I did notice. So I caught, I caught the very, very yeah. end of the game and I did notice that, which seemed a bit, so it's, it's a bit yeah. controversial, isn't it? And that's why I don't think we should fundamentally change the rules. Yeah. The problem is the referee. And I, I know I sound like I say that too often, I just think referees should be, it should be made very clear to them. They should penalise time wasting. It, um, it's I, like I, not giving a yellow card at the start of a game, isn't it? Just because you think, oh, well, it's start. Let's not yellow or red, and then a game goes completely gets completely out of hand because there's fouls flying everywhere. It's the same. It's that discipline, really, isn't it? Well, there's a beautiful example of that in that game because Casemiro, who is one of those players like Fernandinho, who amazingly has this gift of it's like like predator of not being visible to the referee when they commit yellow card offences. Um, mm. he, he made two bad yellow card fouls in the first half hour um, and wasn't booked for either of them. And the first one led to a slapping match, which which in turn went that two one player from each side got booked. Well, if the ref had just shown the yellow card in the first place, City wouldn't have reacted at the fact that the ref had done nothing to a really bad foul and then the Real Madrid players wouldn't have reacted, and those two players wouldn't have been booked. So it was the referee's yeah. fault. Um, but yeah, going back to it, it's not just the time that you lose, it's the, the deliberate loss of, of rhythm, and that's what South Am- Southampton, Southend, Southampton in a couple of years, Southend uh, <laughs> suffered from, because we just broke the rhythm up all the time. The moment they got the ball, we'd get a foot in, it's a throw-in, we'll fiddle around with the ball or whatever. Um, we might commit a tactical foul and just stop them. And they couldn't get that rhythm going. They couldn't get their players up the pitch. And that's the thing which, you know, adding the extra time on will just mean more tedium. I, I just think referees, well, I mean, that referee in that game, Man City, Real Madrid game, didn't book anyone for time wasting. I mean, the time wasting was off this chart. He didn't book anybody for time wasting. So he needed to be acting and he wasn't. Um and I think that's that's the point. I think referees need to be ready to add 10 minutes on, not because of VAR incidents, but because 
they have to because there's yeah foul play afoot. Um, but also, uh, I, I just feel that it's ah, no. It was, it was just uh, I, I, I'm not mad on making a fundamental change like that to the game. I just think no. it's, you know there are rules they should be applied. It's like the six second rule of goalkeepers. Why doesn't that apply? Never gets applied, does it? No, it's there. It's in the rules. Never. Why? Why is it not applied? I just find that so. Well, I don't know. Maybe that's my. I'm a bit too literal. But no, it's. I. 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 I'm agreeing with you. It's. It is slightly bonkers. But speaking of applying rules, there was a lot of rules applied in the Boreham Wood game, isn't there? And and seems we've got quite a lot to talk about. Perhaps moving on to talking about those rules being so well applied or not well applied. Uh, we'll be speaking about the Borenwood game after this. I'm Aaron Hayden, and this is Dragon Hearts. Well, the um, the elation of Borenwood having a fantastic result against Stockport uh, soon turned within a couple of days to a complete disappointment at Borenwood getting another good result against another tie flying team, and that was us, Mark, wasn't it? Um, oh, it's you know I. I, I, I've had to try and block football out of my head for the last week or so, uh, well, the last couple of days or so, just because like, I couldn't face watching the Liverpool game, I couldn't face watching the City game. It was just real bitter disappointment. I'm prone to that, Mark. But uh, tell us your thoughts on, on how we did. Well, I mean, firstly, I, I think you're, you're right to point out that Stockport game while we were playing against Southend. Because it was, uh, you have to look at our games and stockboards in conjunction with each other at the moment, don't you? And yeah, that was it was a weird experience. I, I you know, I, I, you know, before Monday, I really fancied our chances of winning the league, and it was a weird experience of packing up the press box, going down the stairs, and then as we were walking on the side of the pitch, just hearing this big roar and thinking, "Hang on, what was that?" And it was, of course, the turf going nuts because Borough would have sto- scored at Stockport and we immediately on our phones getting the game up. Whoa, 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 look at that. Look at that yeah. goal. <laughs> um, in fact, it was even more exciting than that because the delay meant that it was nil-nil when we looked at it. You know, hang on a sec, hang on. And then the goal came. Um, <laughs> and it was such an exciting couple of days, wasn't it, where, with them when we they'd lost, where we really had, you know, a, well, we knew that if we beat them, they were really had their backs up against the wall. And at that point, I really thought, okay, I fancied us all along. And, well, we, we were in a slightly better position than maybe I thought we'd be. But sadly, yeah, well, I mean, regardless of everything else, I, I want to get one thing out of the way with this. Oh, I, I really like Tyler French, but I wish he hadn't gone in for that challenge because I know, yeah, it wasn't going anywhere. I, I just think there was a little bit of panic at the end, and quite frankly, it was the opposite of what we were talking about in the last game, where we we killed the game so beautifully. We had a little bit of a panic, and that whole set piece coming in, and then Palmer bringing it away, but not managing to get rid of it. And if you look at it, I mean, I, I sort of understand it, but there's two more players come charging out with him in a you know, almost mm. like a sort of, the ball's going to the edge of the area. Quick, let's charge. Um, and we got caught out. We just got flipped back over the top and 
And then French, I appreciate thinking, oh my gosh, right, we, we've suddenly evacuated part of the box and the ball's in there. I totally understand why he went charging across, but Smith wasn't Smith wasn't really getting into a great position. And if he just stayed on his feet, no, he's closing down there. Don't you keep 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 tight to him? Don't don't go diving in. Yeah, I mean it, it. It's a it, it's it's easy to and obviously that is the key moment. You can't can't say otherwise, but. I think the whole back line had a bit of a panic in the last five, 10 minutes, yeah. didn't they? I actually, I actually kind of struggled to sort of, uh, you know, listen to it really at the time. Cause you could just, you could just sense something was coming. And, and if you're being completely honestly brutal against 10 men, when you're in our position in the league, you, you can't be doing that. And it's those fine margins that, that lose titles, but in fairness, they've done incredibly well to get into this position. No one would have had us before Christmas, even though you know the, the form sort of started to turn around Christmas, but before Christmas, no one would have had us in this position being yeah. so close. Mathematically still possible. We'll, you know, we'll come on to the Stockport game a bit later. We're asking a hell of a lot from them in terms of collapse now for us to have a chance, but you just really want to give praise to the lads for what they've done, but you just it's just such a disappointing result. You can't yeah. can't ignore it, can you? And, and the go on, sorry. Was that, no, no, I was just gonna say with French, yeah. I, was say, I don't want to hang him out to dry. He's he's a smashing lad and he's he's done really well for us. And yeah. I'm glad he's been given a, a longer term contract so that regardless what division we're in next year, he's part of our future. So I think it's he's very, very useful as both a centre back and as a wing back. It's mm-hmm. a thing about that one instance, but you're quite right. It's not just him, although he made the mistake at the end. The defence did have a, a collective panic. And also, let's be honest, that game broke up into three phases, didn't it? Until the red mm-hmm. card, when, to be honest, I think we underperformed. When the red card until the last five or so minutes, when, frankly we should have put that game to bed. I mean, we should have been more ruthless. Admittedly, Nathan Ashmore in goal was utterly phenomenal, but still, we carved them open so many times. You know, players in the six-yard box, you got to score them. you got to take advantage of it. Um, and then that last five minutes when when they decided, well, you know, go for broke, why the hell not? And, and we didn't deal with that terribly well, but... You know, it's not, like I say, it's not just French's fault because there was a systemic defensive failure for the goal. And also, we should have scored more than one goal when we were battering 10 men and opening them up, regardless of the fact that their keeper had an amazing game. Yeah, well, you'd highlighted uh, Ashmore, didn't you? To have to, to, you you said that he, he likes to be the party pooper a little bit. And that's exactly what he did. And, you know, in, in you know, give credit to the team, they, they could have been two or three up. If it wasn't for him in goal, any other day, there's a couple of those shots that go in. It took it took a fat, you know, a really fantastic goal by Mullin to even break the the deadlock at the time, and it's just ah, oh, just yeah. bleeding egg, boring wood. Yeah. Come on, <laughs> I suppose we can't complain because they they kind of set us up to be overjoyous over the weekend, and they kind of restored the balance a little bit. Yeah. It's yeah. not it's not as bad as as for us, in a sense that we didn't lose Stockport, you know, uh, uh, it's all. Uh, I know this doesn't make for good podcast, and I'm just making noises now. But this is the only way I can sum up how I feel, to be honest. Well, maybe we should um, look at those three stages of the game. I mean, it, yeah, I mean, let's do it. Let's do it. I mean, so 
you know, you, you're right to say we were underperforming a little bit. Would, would you think it'd be fair to say Nerves got to the team a little bit in that first phase? I mean, obviously in the last phase, but in that first phase? Um, I'm, I'm, I tend to be reluctant. To, you probably know me well enough to, to know. Yeah. To go down the Nerves sort of route. My sense is more that they, like Bromley, when we struggled, when we drew there, uh, and when they played at the race course, when they when they did cause us problems, they went long ball. It then becomes a battle to impose your style on a team that's doing that. And when a team does that well, it is tough to, to look mm. good. And I thought that was what they were doing to us. And I, I thought, to be fair, just before the red cards, we were starting to show shines that we were getting the ball down and we were starting to forced them deeper and we were starting to take control um, but I, I thought it was just that they are a good team and they were their, their game plan was working and it was really hard for us to get the game to be pulled around onto our terms so it was one of those things where yeah okay the game was going the way they wanted it to which is not a good reflection on us but to be fair it's when, when a team executes the long ball approach which is simple but effective it's really hard to wrestle that control from them. But then Jamal Fifield, I mean, for goodness sake, once a red, always a red, scores a goal yeah. at Stockport. I mean, goodness me, he never scored for us. And then he goes and, and just thinks, oh, oh, come on, Wrexham. Come on, you're losing this. So I need to go in. I need to win two foot somebody so so I can be, we can be down to 10 men. Well done, <laughs> Jamal. Good lad. Yeah. It was a clear red that as well, wasn't it? You know, the, the refs not even hesitated, which at our level is, it's weird. At our level, a ref doesn't tend to hesitate unless it's not a red card, yeah. but they give a red card anyway. But this yeah, time, yeah. you know, it was a stonewall red. He's got it spot on. Uh, and then you look at that and you think, right, that's great. You know, we've, we've got to go and uh, put them to the sword now, but... I think the rest of that half was still a little bit flat, wasn't it? We obviously took control a little bit, but it was it was still a bit flat. And you then go looking at starting this the start of the second phase where we are on the up. We go and get the goal in the second half. It was an absolutely fantastic finish by Mullin. And and then I don't know really what happened, to be honest, Mark. How would you best describe it? Well, I guess I know I keep mentioning it, but I feel I know how Man City fans feel. Because we were we we were pretty much in the comfort zone, but only had the one goal lead. I mean, heck, we were just opening them up, opening them up, opening them up. They had nothing going the other way. It was it was easy. Oh man! But you got to kill a team off in that situation. I didn't yeah, think we did yeah. that badly at, at the end of the first half. Um, you know, once we recovered the, the the shock of a red card, which is such a bad one. You don't need two foot Jordan Davis, but you also appear to get a chunk of James Jones as well into the body. <laughs> yeah. um, then two know, for the I'm price like, of one. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Fair place <laughs> for I've got two feet. I'll get the most out of them. Um, <laughs> but, you know, Mullen missed a, a good headed chance. Oh no, no, not the headed chance. The, the volley, didn't he? Well, half volley, about eight yards out, which I think normally he'd score and he puts it a long way over. And, and I thought, I thought we set the tone at the end of that half. And then, Oh, it was just a really good performance. I mean, admittedly against 10 men, but it was as it should have been, except we only got the one goal. I mean, Ashmore, yeah, was amazing. The save, I mean, the one he made from Young when the shot was deflected. I mean, that was just... Ah, uh, yeah, I always got his hand to that. I don't, I, yeah. That's, that's out of order. That's not human. 
incredible that. Um, Come on, Boring Wood, we've got a promotion party we want to get to. Don't, don't spoil the party. Come on. <laughs> and then the one from Davis. I mean, that was like a copy of his goal at Weymouth, which was unstoppable. Maybe didn't quite hit it with the same venom, but it was a heck of a good save. Uh, it was, yeah. The double save from Palmer. Maybe Palmer could be more clinical, but then it's a tightish angle, but then he's in the six-yard box on his own. Oh, and when he did, like I said, he's quite unorthodox. When it didn't stick, he somehow manages to react and toe-poke it away from Lozano when he's got an open goal to stab it into. And Oh, it was just, oh, it was infuriating and, and set up that crazy finale, which was oh, such a such a blow, wasn't it, the end of that game? Yeah. Yeah, and, you know, like I say, though, I think it's easy to overanalyze it, but we lost against Stockport earlier in the season. We've dropped points against a handful of teams when, when the form hadn't turned around. It'd be very easy to look at this and maybe the Woking game and go, do you know what? Those were the those were the, the key points and perhaps you'd be right. But I don't think it's fair to put it down to these games. Legs are starting to get tired. It's the end of the season. We can you know, to be to still be battling at this point in the season to try and win a title, you, you've got to access an extra gear that a lot of teams and players don't have. And I think we have that because we've managed to, we haven't lost, have we? We've drawn, okay, it's not in great fashion, but we haven't lost. It's just Stockport have maybe just got the points in other key key points in the season. I mean, you look at our two forms, our form's better than their form yeah, over yeah. the last five, six games. They've just already accrued the points, haven't they? So it, it is what it is, I think. Um and if I can give you a little bit of reassurance, um, like you said, we've dropped those five points, walking on board and was, and that feels massive, doesn't it now? Um, but if you actually add those five points on, and we then went into the Stockport game uh, at two points ahead of them and beat them, then we'd still have to get a result at Dagenham, which is not guaranteed. Yeah. So we still and, and they've got. Exactly, they've got six points to play for as well, haven't they? So, yeah, exactly. So, it's easy probably to probably be enough in those circumstances, but might not. Um, uh, having to win at Dagenham in the last day smacks horribly of a, of a very traumatic experience. So, it, it's know. just exactly it, it's the exact sort of game we came up against against Boreham Wood. And that you know, would you would you rather have this happen now, or would you rather be on that last day and in the last five minutes? For... We're getting might- a peak, Wrexham. You know, yeah. Hey, look, I, I think we've just got to go and win these two games. Um, just got to. Uh, it's the only. It's the only option. I don't want to see us give the title to Stockport in in a weird way. I think it would almost be worse if worse if we drew with them and handed them the title by a, a boring nil nil or one all draw. You know, they're gonna they're gonna want to come and spoil our party and win the title at the race course. They'll be they'll be dying for that. Oh, um, we've we've got to we've got to stop it from happening, and even if we don't go up automatically, then that's that. Well, but speaking of that Stockport game, we're going to take a quick break, and after this, we'll be dissecting uh, the <laughs> Sunday's nail biting game, which I can't even get my words out about. <laughs> Hi guys, I'm Dominic Bose, and uh, this is Dragon Hot. So Stockport, Mark, uh, it's going to be a strange day, I think, isn't it? I have we experienced another side winning the title at the race course? In, definitely not in recent memory, but 
Oh. Have we? Bolton went up in the 80s um, at our expense at the race course. And then, oh gosh, I suppose the most infamous example. Well, I think I'll say a happy story. You know what? I feel like this is our chance to introduce the new segment that I've sort of been spinning around in my head. Oh, go on. Because I waffle on so much all the time talking about <laughs> tales of my childhood when Wrexham did this, that and the other, that I think maybe when we are thinking about some historical, I think we should just settle down, get ourselves a nice warm drink, slip on those slippers and listen to Uncle Griff's bedtime stories. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to make a jingle for it too. I'm telling you, I'm going to make a jingle and it's going to be beautiful. Um, it kind of feels like you need an old school pipe to go along with, with the story and a little flat, a fat clap, yeah, flat cap or something. Yeah. <laughs> Gather around the lemon tree. <laughs> Shelbyville, always jealous of our lemon, you know, that sort of thing. Um, <laughs> Uncle Griff's Bedtime Stories. Uh, two examples that come to mind of big crunch games like that at race goes. So I'll think of the nice one first, although my mind is slightly okay. playing tricks on me here. I remember us playing, oh, I want to say Gillingham last game of the season. And we, if they won, they were champions or they went up. And I said, oh, who was it? There was another northern team, Preston. I'm going to say, but I'm not sure if it's right. There were about a thousand or two of their fans there because they couldn't get to their, into their own match because it was sold out. And so they came to support us. <laughs> and brilliantly, we won 1-0. Mark McGregor scored the absolute screamer from about 30 yards. Amazing it. It won the goal of the season. Just 30-odd yards out. Power, <laughs> straight line, top corner. Um, and so they were all celebrating with us because we got them promoted. Um, but then the, the infamous example, and uh, oh, my words, uh, uh, unpleasant in lots of ways, was in the mid 90s or well, late 90s. There was the last game of the season at home to Millwall. Mm. And mm. Millwall needed a draw to go up. And it was a, it was a, it was an eye opener for me, I've got to say. Uh, they it was all ticket, and but despite that, a lot more Millwall fans came than had tickets, and they basically stormed the ground. And they managed to get in, and they went during the game charging across the Mold Road stand, and the game had to be stopped. But the police couldn't do much with them except keep them in a Mold Road stand in a, in a section separate from the other people. There were lots of reports of people saying how terrified they were sitting there with their kids and then suddenly all the Millwall fans came charging across. Um, it was all very nasty. They got the draw and got promoted. The thing that, like I say, made it a bit of an eye-opener um, was that it was when they were run by Theopathesis, you know, from Dragon's Den. <laughs> yeah, um, not dragons, not dragon hearts for your fetus, nope. dragons dens for your fetus. <laughs> I, I, I believe me, if I had to work with theopathesis, then let me tell you why I am. I'm out. I think I'm a Valentine impersonation there for any kids watching. Uh, <laughs> so that, that was a very good um, sort of topical impersonation from 15 years ago. Thank you very much. Of course, yeah. <laughs> um, 
Don't so expect any more on Dragon Out. Well, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> the thesis, it was interesting. We went to, it was in the press room afterwards. Um, and, you know, the usual drill is you stand around and then both managers come in. Occasionally they bring a player in, but usually not. But as you're standing around, very early, the thesis comes storming in and just held court in there. And it was fascinating. It was a real example of how you control the media agenda. So he came in, and he's the first person to speak on the trouble at the game. And he just straight away, he said, I'm disgusted. I'm calling for an FA inquiry into this. Wrexham Football Club needs to be punished for, the, for what happened today. Our fans were put into an unacceptable situation. And basically what wow. he was trying to say was Wrexham, it was an all-ticket game, but he was trying to say Wrexham sold tickets on the day to Millwall fans. Now, it was a complete success. He completely turned the narrative. Um, the, the sort of national paper reports were all about how Wrexham has mishandled it. There was an inquiry into us, which didn't find anything wrong. But it was genius. You know, nobody was talking about Millwall hooligans. Everybody was talking about how um, Wrexham had been badly organised and couldn't organize, couldn't run the match properly. And, and, and as you know how the media works, nobody was terribly interested in the findings of that inquiry. All they were interested in was the fact there was an inquiry. So, yeah. yeah, it was an amazing example of how to just get out, get your story out first, get, it, get people writing it. And, yeah, there was no focus. I mean, if it had been true and they had been sold tickets on the day of the game, which would break the rules... Still doesn't mean you should run around and, and you know, no, of course not anyway. But he completely took the narrative away, and it wasn't about that at all, it was purely about Wrexham's incompetence and we're all getting promoted. That was a fascinating example to me. So, there, there's your bedtime story, Uncle Griff's bedtime stories. Yeah, well, speaking of incompetence and promotions, I hope and I'm hoping that. Sunday will be a promotion party for us because we established Stockport's in- incompetence, which then sends them on a free game losing streak. It's a tall ask, isn't it, Mark? That would be beautiful. It's a tall ask, but it's, you know, I, you know, <laughs> I, I count myself on this. I think we've been a bit too emotional about this because of the disappointment of giving away that penalty. It can still happen. I still make us favourites to beat them because, as you said in the last part, we are playing better than them at the moment. We're going to have a hell of a big crowd behind us and we're going to go at them. And I do fancy us to beat them. Um, And then, should we do that? Okay. They've still got the upper hand. We'll be level on points. The goal difference will be incredibly close. And they've got two games left and we've got one. Fair enough. That Torquay game in midweek is the big one because if they've, you know, they've still got to get the result. And I've said all along, I feel Torquay are an awkward team. They've just lost a home to Bournemouth. I got to say as well, I was quite shocked at how their crowd did not get behind them. Their crowd were on their backs very quickly or certainly appeared to be from the, from the footage. That Torquay game is not going well. There's no guarantee they're going to turn that game around. And if they don't get the win, oh, they, they, they need to perform against the Halifax side, who we know are very strong. So it's not, it's not dead. It's not dead. There's still time for their confidence to get shaken. 
It's not. And I think the pressure is off us now. Uh, I think, you know, we're now expected to not win the league so we can go out there and put a, out a bit of a performance, whereas they have to come. They don't, they don't have to win, do they? We have to win more than they have to win mathematically. But I think everyone's now counting us out. So it's an opportunity for the players to go and say, do you know what? Let's go and prove everybody wrong. I think over the two games we played against them, if you were to do that as a well, first of all, if it was an aggregate score, we'd be free two up. Yeah. <laughs> I know that's not how football works, but that is the case so far. I think the first half, all right, it was a long time ago, and the team, both teams have changed quite a bit since then. Managers changed for them and, and all sorts. But we looked the better side, and then they sort of took over what's about the 70th minute or whenever their first goal went in. And then in the set in the second game. I feel like we were two even teams where they just edged it, but the way they played sort of fell into the hands of the way we played. And I don't know. It's, it's such a hard one to call. I, we did say in the last Dragon Heart that we'd know after this weekend whether whether we were going to win the league or not. And somehow we're, we're not 100% clearer. I still think... It, it, if you ask me to do a titleometer now, I'd probably say about three, just because the chances are so slim. Yeah. Um, slim, but not impossible. But I, I, I'm struggling to see how they lose both of those games, or at least don't get enough points to to win the league. That's my that's my main worry. I'm not too bothered about Sunday. That result's just going to be how it is. It's it's though they've got an extra game in hand on us, and we've both then still got to go and get results or not get results uh, uh, the week after. If if you were looking at it from outside, you you didn't have uh, a horse in this race. Would you be a bit more optimistic for Wrexham? You know, we're we're within three points. We've got two games left. One of them was against them, so that results in our hands. Do you know what I mean? If you were looking at it dispassionately, if this was in the Scottish third division, three no, I, I wouldn't. No, I, I wouldn't because I do personally do tend to favour the team that's at the top of the league. Just oh, yeah. like in this in the in the City Liverpool situation, mm. you know, it's one that we can sort of mention. I, I fancy City to go and win the league, although maybe that that Champions League result knocks the confidence. Um, and the Bournemouth uh, Nottingham Forest game. Uh, earlier in the week was a good example of, of a team that, okay, you know, they'd had a bit of a, a, a stutter, but they were above Nottingham Forest and they proved on the day that they were a better team and that's why they were above them in the league. And I think you, you're relying on too many factors. If this was the last game of the season and if we say the parameters change a little bit, and it was last game of the season and we needed to win 2-0, I'd be, I'd be confident. But I think it's because there's those two games that they've got to play. That's, that's my worry, really. Yeah, I, 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 yeah, I'm just, I'm just wondering what your perspective would be. Um, I think been, when you're I, I'd always favour the side with games in hand. Sorry, as well, we get always slightly favour the team that have that are above. But then, as a second criteria, I would all, always fancy the team with a game in hand. That's that you know, it's just a, it's too much for me, really. Unfortunately, I, well, I, I mean, as I sort of alluded to, all my bullish talk has dissolved a little bit. I'm not so convinced now that we're <laughs> going to win it at all. But having said that, um, if, if you if you do what our footballers do, if you take it game by game, it doesn't look quite so bad. 
I would argue. No, you are right. Yeah. I th- we- and I think you're spot on about the emotional side of it. And a lot of people are just upset, aren't they? Because we wanted to go up automatically. Um, playoffs are a bit of a lottery. I don't, I don't care what anyone says. Obviously, finishing second or third gives you a huge advantage compared to, say, the championship playoffs or the League One playoffs. But it, it's... it's um, it's a difficult one. Now, I did have a look in the week at. Uh, I mean, we can come on to playoffs if if we if we need to, but this this applies to us and Stockport really. I've always sort of held a theory that the team that runs the the top team closest ends up not winning the playoffs. It's very anecdotal. It's it's completely in my own head. And then when I did a little bit of research and looking back up until uh, when we lost in the playoffs, um, actually. Uh, I don't think it necessarily works like that. I think it, it's it's quite it's still quite a lottery, and enough teams that have finished second have have gone up as playoff winners. So I, I think we just got to take take Sunday, dust ourselves down. If we lose, we we do whole, wholesale changes against Dagenham and Redbridge. We we you know prepare to get ourselves ready for the FA Trophy final, and then take the playoffs from there. What do you think? Um... I, I still fancy us to beat Stockport, and then, like I say, take each game as it comes, and it suddenly looks a bit more positive. They then, on the back of a, a painful defeat, they've got to play a couple of days later against Torquay. They're awkward. They need to get the results. And I don't get me wrong, they ought to, but they might not. And if we do beat them, then the best situation they go into in the last day of the season is they're three points ahead of us. They've got a tough game against Halifax. We've got a toughish game against Dagenham, who might not be able to get promoted. Depends how the results go over on Saturday. Um, and you know, I'd rather be in their shoes than ours, with you know, knowing that a draw at home wins you the title. But I would also be aware of the fact that you know Halifax got Solihull Moors breathing down their necks. They're a strong team. We're going to come at them. That could go horribly wrong for them. And if it goes on to goal difference, and this is where I'm feeling a bit positive as well. Okay, they've got a goal difference, which is four better than ours. Fair mm-hmm. enough. Well, for us to make, be able to, to pull this off, we've got to win both our games. Fact. Yeah. So we've got to improve our goal difference by at least plus two. And their goal difference for this to happen is going to have to take a hit at the race course of at least minus one. That leaves us one behind. So if we beat mm-hmm. them 2-0, we're dead level on goal difference. And then we are looking, we are having to win again, and they're having to drop points against Halifax. Do you see what I mean? For this to, to work yeah, out, yeah. probably, unless they utterly batter Torquay, probably our goal difference will be better than theirs if the scenario where we can win the title works out. So we win two games, they get four points from nine. Uh, the chances are our goal difference will probably be better than theirs, especially if we could win yeah. by one goal against them. I'm just just looking at the table now. Um, and we have more goals what, hey. scored. So if it's level, we're, we've got a, we're above them. We've scored five more goals, uh, four more goals than them. So yeah. when Mark, I say okay, goal difference is actually our friend if we're going to pull this off. You, you're making me a hope addict, are you? you <laughs> you're feeding me hopioids. Which uh, yeah. s- sweet, well, delicious hope, hopium, which is making me, you know, <laughs> th- well, think about what's. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, look at it this way then. Right, we have to win against Stockport, and that's tough. But if we do, they cannot afford another slipper. 
if they make any form of slip off, we win the league if we beat Dagenham. That's quite positive. I don't think there's a fifty yeah. percent chance of it happening. I think they will win the league now, sadly. But yeah, we it's not quite as bad as it looks. It's, there is still hope. There is also to to put a little bit of dampener on this chat. Oh, great! <laughs> if we lose and Halifax and Solihull Moors both win yeah. their games, we run the risk of slipping into fourth, don't we? Yeah, absolutely. Although then. That's when we suddenly say, well, we knew our longest lock would be Halifax, so we'd be okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, okay, yeah. I mean, who's, who's Solihull got for their next two games? You know, I'll have, have a quick check, actually. I've got it open anyway, so let's have a look. They've got Dagenham and Redbridge on Saturday, mm. and then they've got perennial party poopers, Boreham Wood away. Yeah, so not not easy. So, no, not easy in the yeah. slightest. You know, you look at... You look at um, just get this table back up. You look at Dagenham and Redbridge, they're three points off Chesterfield. Uh, Boreham Wood won't have got three games. They're on 66 points. Uh, they've got nine points to catch Chesterfield. You're not really fancying that over two, three games here. It's not impossible, but you'd probably say they're not going to catch either Grimsby or Chesterfield there. So it's only no. really Dagenham and Redbridge that have got a chance. I mean, let's be, you know, I, I think being realistic, there's a decent chance that we go into the Stockport game in third place. Halifax are a home to Aldershot. Uh, they're going to win that, I strongly suspect, which would put them in second place. But then we haven't played over the weekend yet. So, yeah, I admit that. And then Solihull, if they win with a slightly tougher game, will be one point behind us. But the benefit of that would be they will have probably put Dagenham and Redbridge out of contention for the playoffs. Yeah, so they, yeah if exactly. If they beat Dagenham and Redbridge... Then we, we face a team with nothing to play for. Admittedly, still their last home game of the season. We saw what they did last season against us when they wanted to get put on a show for their fans <laughs> last game. But, you know, that, I'd still prefer that to them going hell for leather to try and get a playoff place, if I'm honest. There so, would, would be something poetic, though, wouldn't there, about us preventing mm. get them from getting a playoff place after last year, wouldn't they? You know, if, if we've got nothing to play for and they've got some, not nothing to play for, because maybe we've already got playoffs or, you know, whatever at that point, there would be something poetic about that, I think. And there's football's got a funny way of working in symmetry, isn't it? You know, that if we're in a situation where we've, say, drawn with Stockport, so nobody can catch us for, sec- for third, but at the same time, you know they they've got something to play for. It would be it would be an interesting scenario, not the best scenario for us, but it would it would yeah. brings a lot of permutations, doesn't it? Um, Absolutely, it's a it's a hell of a game again, isn't it? Just like the last stopball game, this is going to be a hell of a game. Mm, it is, and the atmosphere is going to be raucous, isn't it? It's going to be yeah. really. I I hate these games, Mark. They they I, you kind of live you kind of live from as a football fan, mm. but I think you live for the idea of it more than the actual practice. So it's a bit like Derby Day, like you you know if Chester in the same league as us or Shrewsbury or whatever. The first thing you look for is that fixture, but for about a week before you feel sick, don't you? you especially <laughs> in those days running up to it, it's just it's almost like the idea of losing is better than the idea of winning. Or not better, sorry, worse than than how good the idea of winning is. Do you know what I mean? You like you want to not lose more than you want to to win in some ways. Um, well, Che was the best. <laughs> <laughs> we've just between us all, Mark. We've just had enough disappointment with Wrexham, and it's just a shame that uh, such a fantastic season 
has that little blip in the road. Hmm. Um, but, you know, how, how do you think tactically we match up with them? Is, is this a game that favours us? You know, taking the, the emotion and the, and the atmosphere aside, do you think this is a game that's suited to us or is it suited to them? Us? Um, because the only time... I, I, I take your point about the um, the game earlier in the season, but like you said, it, they were different teams really then. Uh, we certainly didn't have many of the pieces of the jigsaw in place. We do now. And so we, we've seen one test of this fixture where, you're right, it was pretty even. And yes, we scored late on, but I think that says something in itself. We, we find the goals late on. We, 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 I, I think at the moment we're better than them, to be honest with you. I think it's a shame that the transfer windows meant that essentially, well, the fact that we have to stick to transfer windows meant that they were able to put their team together earlier than we did. Because if we'd been able to bring the players in without the restriction of transfer windows, I think we'd have won this league comfortably, yeah. despite Stockport. Yeah. Um, but we, we weren't this team until January. Uh, or February, perhaps even you should argue, and then we just destroyed it. And like I said last week, that's why, although I hate to say this, I don't feel too nervous because if we don't go up, it'd be a hell of a shame. But I think next season we'd be setting records by how much we win the league by and how many batterings we dole out, um, which we already are doing now. I mean, our results are phenomenal. So I feel positive. I do fancy us, to be honest. I think it's a great shame that Hayden's injured, but... Um, and I think that helps them in the sense that Toza's long throws are not so dangerous now, are they? Having Hayden attacking them mm. was that extra something, wasn't it? Having a bloke who leaps prodigiously and a guy who propels the ball into incredible areas, that was the real magic. And it's not quite as dangerous now. Toza's mixing up his throws in a bit more, isn't he, now? Trying to get trying to yeah, work you, something. You definitely noticed it in that last... Uh, 10 15 minutes against Boreham Wood, didn't you? How did it, or even in the first half, actually, where where run out of ideas is a little bit harsh, but you could tell there was there was the, that missing piece there, wasn't there? Um, but you know, like speaking of, of tactics, I think it's it's pretty fair to give Phil Parkinson a shout out. You know, he's he's uh, you did a Rex Manorak, didn't you, on his uh, current performance as a, a Rex manager. Would you like to talk through about some of the the, the stats that have, that have stood out for us? Um, absolutely. It was his 50th game, wasn't it, as Wrexham manager at Boreham Wood. And, well, fair play. I mean, <laughs> I mean the stats are remarkable when, when you look at them. Uh, they're remarkable when you don't look at them as well. I don't know why I said that then. Um, I think, you know, in fairness, while you're getting those stats up, Mark, I, I'd like to sort of say he's probably our best National League manager. I know when we when we sort of came with the 98-point season combined team with Che, uh, he didn't... Uh, he wasn't too sure and you weren't too sure, but, you know, yes, he's had the budget for me, but he's also had to completely rebuild this team to be in his image. There's a lot of players who who were uh, let go at the end of the season and whether they were his decisions or not, you don't know. I'm not, you know, not casting any aspersions. That's just how the club's structured. That's just one of those things. He's come in as manager and he's had to completely rebuild the team. And there's been plenty of managers at this level who have managed clubs, big clubs like Luton and, or maybe had the money that Forest Green have had, and and it they didn't it didn't work out for him. So you know, yeah. fair dues. Yet he's he's got us to a, a a trophy final, and he's got us into the playoffs. 
even if we don't get any further than, than you know, if we end up having to play a quarter final, even if we don't get any further, that's the most successful Wrexham manager in a long time, isn't it? So fair play to him, Mark. Well, statistically, he's the best, most successful manager Wrexham have had full stop. Uh, at the moment, although obviously you've got to attach the the, the codicil of big budgets, but then as you said, there's there's no um, there's no guarantee that just because you've got a lot of money that you're going to spend it well. We see plenty of people not spend well, but the truth is, out of any manager, there've been thirty Wrexham managers who've managed for fifty games, and he has won the most out of any Wrexham manager in his first fifty. So he's won that's 31. Incredible. I mean, that's in all competitions. And I have to admit that that he's done pretty well in the Cups, so obviously. That has skewed the figures in his favour. But in all competitions, 31 wins out of the first 50. Uh, Arvon Griffiths and Andy Morrell, who, well, I mean, Griffiths won the league and Morrell came second. Uh, they both had 30. Ken Barnes had 28. Wrexham got promoted in that season as well. So, you know, it's very much promotion form. Um, and in terms of defeats, only Arvon Griffiths in the first 50 games had fewer. Griffiths had seven, Parkinson eight, Keats had nine, uh, Morrell had 10, and then John Neal, another real legend. So these are the, you know, that's, that's a heck of a good company to be in. And then when you look at the league, uh, oh, sorry, you're looking at percentages, he's got the West win percentage by a distance of any Wrexham manager. So he's won 62% of his games. Uh, next best is Sam Ricketts, 56, then Morrell, 52. And then you're going back to the 1920s, our second ever managers, Jack Beans, 47%. The night is successor, Ernie Blackburn, 45%. You know, for the next, what, one, two, three, four, and 1920s, 30s, 40s. Um, it's it's almost, Mark, as if you're telling me we aren't an illustrious Premier League-sized club that has had success at the top division. <laughs> maybe. But, you know... If, Fair, fair play to him. It's a steamed company, isn't it? And I think if if with the, and I know obviously if we're in higher up leagues, it's a different quality. But in terms of the statistically, mm. if he'd have been in League Two, we'd be going up in second. If he'd have been in League One, okay. we'd be going up in second. Oh, yeah. It's only because this division is such a bottleneck yeah. that he's not actually making that jump up this year, isn't it? It's a structural flaw. It's it's farcical to have one automatic promotion place. Is absurd, isn't it? Um, he's got the best league points percentage of any Wrexham manager. So obviously this is their full careers now. Um, but like I said, in the league, if you take the first 50 games, as we will do once he's done the 50 games, he'll probably dip below Morrell and Griffiths. But overall, his record at the moment, he's got a win percentage of 67.5%, which is crazy. And that puts him 2% ahead of Sam Ricketts. And I'm, I'm a little reluctant in a way to be uh, <laughs> judging Sam Ricketts because he didn't stay for very long. I mean, apart from the fact I'm biased. I've just realised, hang on <laughs> a second. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, he's a bit of an outlier, I think, because he only played 20, had 22 games as manager. So that's mm. a very small sample size. Morrell had a proper career, but he and he was 9% behind Parkinson in terms of league win percentage. And he's got the second best defeat percentage, and again after Ricketts, so that's quite something. Third in the list, interestingly, joint Morrell and Keats. Keats, wow. uh, and, and I think there should be a little, you know, sort of acknowledgement here of Keats, who, um, unlike a lot of the other names I'm mentioning, inherited bad teams part of the way through the season twice and had to rescue them. 
So mm. naturally, his figures are deflated and his win percentage and points percentages aren't that great. Although his, his points percentage are pretty good, 51%, but his win percentage isn't. But that's because he was having to do remedial work on failing teams twice. Um, but he made them very hard to beat. So that the, even considering that, you know, he's, like I say, third best uh, record in the league for defeats, which is, you know, fair play to him. But yeah, Parkinson's done remarkably. And I know he's had a good budget, but there's still plenty of people who are given big budgets and fail. And like you said, Forrest Green just had a lot of, went to a lot of money, a lot of strikers and a lot of managers before they finally actually uh, managed to get themselves in the football league, didn't they? So hats off to Parkinson. He's done an excellent job. Exactly. Well, I am Park in Sun instead of Park out Sun. Nice. I think he's a he, he's a absolutely fantastic manager. Uh, he, he he deserves. I think it's not even it shouldn't even be in question that he deserves another crack at the whip next season. Oh yeah. Um, I know in some corners there's always going to be questions. I'm fair enough. You know, people are entitled to their opinion, but I think on this one you're wrong. He uh, <laughs> he deserves <laughs> he, des- he deserves a, a second go. Uh, I, I you know we've mentioned it before, but there's a big reason. The big part of why I'm not too bothered about not winning the league this year if we don't is, or even the playoffs is, it doesn't feel like teams in the past where you know that's the only opportunity and it's a downward trajectory after that. Yeah, the 98 point season. Yeah, even though we get to the playoff final and win the FA Trophy that year. It's still league position wise a downward trajectory, and then it's gone downhill since then, hasn't it? Pretty much, a couple of nice little peaks, you know, losing to Eastley in the playoffs, Ooh, fantastic, you know. It's it's not been very good since then, but I actually feel like you know we are only going to move forward, and this has been a, a huge amount of progress since last year. And it, the truth is that we have a better squad next season than now, yeah. regardless. Of what league we're in, that's, that's got to be a good thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly right. And, and even, even if one or two of the key names go, the 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 humongous spine of that squad is going to stay, mm. and they'll have settled in. They'll settled into the area. They'll have settled into the community. They'll have their families may have moved and will be a bit more settled in. They will be more used to Parkinson's tactical style. Mm. They'll know each other a lot better. You only have to look at Stockport and see how much they've benefited this season from having had that year to bed in with each other. Well, I mean, there's a good, a long interview on the Wrexham website by Matt Waters uh, with Ben Toza, who makes a lot of those points, actually, talking about how they've had to get to know each other and that COVID hasn't made it easy either. Um, but yeah, exactly well, Yeah, right. they, they can't even really go around and have a cup of tea at each other's no. houses, can they? No. <laughs> uh, and I... That I wouldn't. I'd be surprised if we lose key players. We signed them on three-year contracts, and unlike previously, I think a player's going to have to agitate to get out if if they're going to yeah. leave. I don't. Th- we don't have to accept bids. We've got the money. Thank you very much. Um, we're not daft. Exactly. Obviously, if someone comes in and offers a crazy money for a player, fine, because we can reinvest it. But you know, we've been spending well. Most of our transfers have been hits, so I'm okay. I'm I'm, I'm calm about that. To be honest, as well. Yeah. Excellent. Well, it's been a fantastic episode, Mark. I think we best wrap it up there. Uh, don't, don't forget to check out the, all the Wrexham content on YouTube, Twitter, TikTok, uh, Carrier Pigeon, uh, Instagram, Snapchat. I don't know what else we're on these days. Che usually wraps this up and I do that. At this point, I'm already zoned out and thinking about what I'm having for tea. So uh, <laughs> thanks for a, a great episode, Mark. Uh, 
enjoy the game at Stockport. Whatever happens, I think it, it's it's going to be a big one, isn't it? Absolutely. I'm off now to have uh, some carrier pigeon on toast for my team. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, thanks very much and see you next week. I'm Dan Jarvis and this is Dragonheart. 